Amen. We thank you and we praise you, Lord. You're such a great and an awesome God. We are so blessed and so thankful for your love and your grace, your infinite mercy. And Lord, we pray right now as we go to this time in your word that you would minister to every single heart that's here. Lord, we just ask that your spirit would touch us, Lord, that your spirit would be our teacher. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. God bless you guys. It's good to be home. Heard things went really well, besides all my pastors getting sick while I was away. You probably didn't even know it. They're troopers. I call them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego now because they were in the fire the whole time we were gone. But it's good to be home. It was a great trip. We're, um, if anybody needs a Bible, raise your hand. If you don't have a Bible, that means you need one. We, we study the Bible here. That's what we do at Calvary Chapel. So raise your hand if you don't have a Bible. We'll be happy to loan you one. If you don't have one at home or you like that one better that we give you, please feel free to take it as our gift. As far as the Israel trip's concerned, um, I know we have a lot of pictures. I know Manny took, what, 1,100 pictures, Manny? I think something like that. And so we're going to try to get it in a little smaller number. And then on a Wednesday night, we'll go through like a virtual tour, and we'll just kind of take you through each site. So we'll let you know. Hopefully we'll do that in the next couple of weeks. Again, I want to encourage you next Sunday, if you haven't been baptized, you need to be. Amen? Now, baptism is not necessary for salvation, but as believers in Christ, it's an outward statement of an inward change. It's letting the whole world know that we want to be identified with Him. We're not to be ashamed of the gospel. He says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. So I want to encourage you to be baptized next week. And, and you know what? Reach out to people in your neighborhood who maybe don't go to church anywhere. Easter Sunday is one time when people who don't go to church very often are more inclined to come, so reach out to them. Let's reach Santa Cruz County for Jesus, amen? All right, turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. We're going to continue our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament on Wednesdays. We'll be back in Numbers chapter 20 on Wednesday night, so I encourage you to read ahead and be prepared for that. So let's take a look here. Now I want to catch you up real quick. Two weeks ago, we began the, the book of Romans, and you know, it comes right after the four Gospels, each of the Gospels being the story of Jesus' life, written from four different perspectives with, with different emphasis. Then we got to the book of Acts, and we saw the birth of the first century church. And what is it that made the first century church explode? It wasn't that the guys were great, because we know before Pentecost, they were napping and lopping off ears and doing stuff they shouldn't be doing. But when the Holy Spirit came upon them, they were moved in a mighty and a powerful way, and God used them to turn the known world upside down, or right side up. Now, we get through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, and all those are written in kind of a story form. And as we went through, we felt like we were traveling with them, and we were going on a, on a trek. Well, now as we get to Romans, we move from a story form to an epistle. An epistle, another word for epistle would be what? A letter. Now, this is a letter written to the church at Rome. Interestingly enough, it's a church that Paul's never visited. He's had a desire to go there. But at the same time, it's a church that's growing. It's a church that God's doing great things. But at the same time, it's a church where he's going to address doctrine. Now, Romans is an incredible book that really deals with doctrine. What doctrine is, is basically the truth of what God's Word teaches us about. And there's some basic truths that we'll see as we continue through Romans week by week. And we'll look at sin, salvation, sanctification, all of those things, and this morning we're going to pick up where we left off last week in verse 18, but before we do, I did want to just give you, a, again, background on that. The first 17 verses, what we saw was the character of a godly man. As Paul's writing to this church, he's never even met them before, and he identifies himself in several ways, and it was interesting that we saw the 10 attributes or 10 th- uh, traits of a godly man. 
And I want to encourage you that these are things that we should see in our lives if we're walking with the Lord. And we saw that he referred to himself as a bondservant. A bondservant, if you remember, is a servant by choice. Someone who's a slave out of their own free will. Someone who is let free and they can go, but they decide out of their own desire to serve their master and to be joined to him for a lifetime. And that's what we ought to be with our Savior. Amen? We should be doing this because we love him. What better place to be? Who better to serve than our Savior? We saw that he responded to God's calling in his life. That he was set apart from the world. That he knew the word. That he understood and shared God's grace. That he was a man who thanked God for others. He interceded on behalf of others. He had a deep desire for fellowship with God's people. He had a burden for the lost. And he had boldness to preach the gospel. Now this morning we're going to start off looking at some of the doctrine in Romans. And the first thing we're going to look at is something that most churches don't talk about today. The doctrine of sin. Now, if you've been here once, you already know, because I'll tell you almost every week, you guys are sinners. Amen? Now, if you read some of the books that come out, they say, don't tell people they're sinners. They won't come back to your church anymore. Well, you guys keep coming back, so God bless you, right? But here's the reality. We are all sinners in desperate need of a Savior. And Jesus loved us, and He came and suffered and died that we might have eternal life. And the reality is that sin separates man from God. And that's why Jesus came. And here he's going to explain to them very clearly the doctrine of sin. And so over the next three chapters or so, we're going to be looking at the doctrine of sin. And what is sin? We're going to see what sin is. We're going to see how God feels about sin. We're going to see how accountable man is for his sin. We're going to see what the ultimate cost of sin is. And then lastly, we're going to see how we as born-again believers should relate or respond to sin. So I want to encourage you, be reading ahead, come each week, and we're going to get to see, just in depth, this doctrine of sin. Now, as we see, again, God's Word has some very clear things to say about the sinfulness of man and His need for the redeeming work of salvation. So this morning, I titled the message, Voking the Wrath of God. Oh man, can I leave now, right? I mean, thanks a lot, right? Provoking the Wrath of God. You know what? God is a God of love, a God of grace, a God of infinite mercy, but He's also a God of judgment. Amen? Now again, that's not something you hear in most churches today. You know, water down the gospel sermonettes for Christianettes, you know, that kind of thing, right? But the reality is, if it's in God's Word, we need to study it. This is, you know, the B-I-B-L-E, the basic instructions before leaving earth, right? And God's love letter to every single one of us, and we don't skip over verses, And I want to encourage and let you know right up front this morning that we're going to talk about some stuff that, again, is very, very apropos for today, but it's stuff that most churches steer around, okay? And so what we're going to be looking at this morning is first that sin separates us, and God's going to reach out to man, and we're going to see how he does that. And then we're going to see the rebellious response of man, and then finally the fruit of rebellion. You know, when we're rebellious against God, that there there is consequences for our sin, And we're going to see that very clearly this morning. So if you have, again, look at verse 18. We're going to pick up where we left off last week, provoking the wrath of God. And first we're going to see that God reaches out to man, his desire to restore sinful man back to a holy God. So let's take a look, beginning at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in righteousness. Now, two weeks ago, I told you the main theme of Romans is the righteousness of God. But before he addresses the righteousness of God, he's going to address the sinfulness of man. And here's why. 
Because unless we understand we're sinners, we'll see no need for a Savior. And unless we're convicted of our sin, we can never be converted. There must be conviction to be conversion. There must be the understanding of sin to see our need for a Savior. And so we see here that the theme is the righteousness of God, but he begins first by talking about the sinfulness of man. Now he says here, the wrath of God. Now I want to explain what that is to you guys. Now, our wrath is a lot different than God's wrath. When we have wrath, it's because we have uncontrolled anger, we're flying off at the handle, and we're out of control. Do you know that God is never out of control? Amen? He's faithful, He's loving, and He's gracious. And I define the wrath of God this way. It's a consistent and holy reaction to that which is contrary to the nature and will of God. Let me say that again. It's a consistent and holy reaction to that which is contrary to the nature and the will of God. We have to understand something. God cannot tolerate sin. If God allows one sin in heaven, what's he got? Earth part two. Almost, that was almost as good as my youth group, but not quite, all right? All right. Because if, if God allows one sin in heaven, he's got the Garden of Eden falling all over again. And God can't have any sin in his heaven. But, well, Pastor Dave, we've got a problem because you told me when I got here I'm a sinner. And if God can't have one sin in heaven, I've got a lot more than that, then I've got an S-I-N problem, right? And we all do. But that's why Jesus came. And so clearly what, he, what we're seeing here is he's describing the wrath of God because God has wrath towards sin when man does not respond to the free gift of salvation. You know what? Nobody is going to go to hell except the, those who run over the cross of Christ to get there. You have to say no to God and reject him over and over and over. He's a merciful God. He loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. But at some point, he's going to give you what you ask for. We cannot have, God cannot have sin in his presence. He cannot condone willful rebellion. God wants to remove the sin and restore the sinner. But that only can come when we respond to him in faithfulness. Now it's interesting. He says there are two words, ungodliness and unrighteousness. Ungodliness is sin against God. Unrighteousness can be described in one way as sin against man. Now, if you look at the Ten Commandments, the first four commandments describe sin against God, our relationship with God. The last six commandments describe our relationship with man. The first four commandments, those of you who come on Wednesday nights, no other God before me, no graven image, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It's a good way to remember the Ten Commandments. You've got to remember I was a youth pastor for a long time. And then the, the last six deal with our relationship with each other. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal, lie, or covet. Now, what is the greatest commandment? What does the Bible describe as the greatest commandment? It's love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and what? And love your neighbor as yourself. So we need to have first intimacy with God, and when we do, it'll spill out in our relationship with others. And that's God's desire and God's plan. But we see here that if we reject that and we don't have intimacy with God, we cannot be a blessing to others and we will face righteous judgment at some point. Now, the good news is if you're sitting in the pew this morning and you're breathing in and out, God's not through with you. Amen? And so no matter what you've done or where you've been or how messed up this week's been, I want you to know that you can take a million steps away from God, but it truly is only one step back. And God loves you guys so very much. And the wrath of God is only for those who just say, Lord, I don't want you. Lord, I don't need you. Lord, I want to do it 
on my own. True repentance restores right fellowship with God, overflowing into relationships with men, loving them, ministering to them, and being a reflection of our Savior. So what is rebellion? It says they're all ungodliness and unrighteousness. What is it when we rebel? How do we do that? It's where we make a conscious choice to turn away from God. And it says there at the end of that verse, suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. In the original language, it speaks of a, of a steering a boat against the current. The current wants to take you in one direction, and you make a conscious decision, I'm going to go the exact opposite way. Who does that remind you of in the Bible? Come on, guys. Who does that remind you of? I know, I know you turned your clock forward an hour, and you're kind of nappy right now, but who does that remind you of? Jonah. God told him to go to Nineveh. Which direction did he go? The exact opposite way. How did that work out for him? Not too good. He got barfed up on shore, no hair on his body, smelling pretty bad. And see, the reality is that God's going to get us where he wants to, and we can either walk there with him, or we can take the long road, and we can take the trial way there. And so we see here, again, that they're suppressing the truth, and that's where God's wrath comes when they deny the truth. Who is the truth? Jesus Christ. He said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes by, to the Father but by me. So the wrath of God is revealed against those who are determined to go their own way. Who say, God, I don't need you. Over and over and over again. Verse 19. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. Now I want you to see something here. God reaches out to man in two ways to restore him. First, he touches him inwardly. That word there for manifest, that much may be manifest in them. The word there is could also be evident among them. Now, those of you who have been coming here very often, we talk about the Holy Spirit having three relationships with man. He's either with you, in you, or upon you. Remember how we've talked about that? Now, he's with all of mankind, and mankind calls him their what? The conscience, right? And so, the Holy Spirit's with everybody, and it's making clear to them the truth, giving them an opportunity to know God. And what, what he says here in this text, he's making known to them God is manifest in them or is evident among them. Now, St. Augustine said this, that God, there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every single man. And it's an emptiness that only God can fill. And I believe, you know, it was interesting, pray for this young man by the name of Eric, who I flew over to Israel with, 12 hours sitting next to me. What do you think we talked about, okay? But we're flying over there, and the guy gets on the plane. It was interesting because there's 20 people in our group. We're in three rows of seven, and guess who had the only empty seat next to him? That'd be me. So this guy comes and sits down next to me. I start talking to this guy, and I I said, so are you going home? Oh, yeah, I'm going back to Jerusalem. I said, well, what were you doing in the United States? He said, oh, I was here on a spiritual quest. I said, really? (laughs) That's interesting. He said, yeah, I was studying with this lady, you know, this Bogwan something down in L.A., and I was learning spiritualism, and, and I'm like, really? Well, tell me all about that. So I let him tell me for about 10 minutes, and I'm waiting for him to ask me, because I knew he would. So what are you going to do in Jerusalem? Well, let me tell you. And to make a long story short, it just broke my heart, because this guy had no clue about who God really is. He flew all the way to L.A. to listen to some lady for two weeks tell him that the only problem in your life is that you just have to learn that nothing is sin and nothing is wrong and God's in everything and just go with the flow. And I'm like, wait a minute, there's no such thing as sin? He said, no such thing as sin. I said, you're a Jew, right? Yeah. I said, Adolf Hitler killed six million Jews. That's not sin? No. 
It's not sin. Osama bin Laden, not, no, that's not sin. Help me out here, right? And I'm talking to this guy, and it's breaking my heart. But eventually, I got the Bible open, and we started spending some time in God's Word. And eventually, I got him to confess and at least admit, yeah, well, maybe there is such thing as sin. And so I'm going to be sending him a Bible this week. His name's Eric. Pray for him. But here's the reality. I believe that God is working on the heart of every single person on this planet. The Holy Spirit is with them, convicting them to a certain degree that they are sinners. And they have a, a choice to make, to respond to him or to reject him. And so the Holy Spirit comes and works on us from the, from the inside out, reaching out to us, desiring to, to touch their heart. And again, that God-shaped vacuum, the Holy Spirit ministering to him. But understand that not only does he touch them from the inside, but he gives them attributes from the outside. Look at verse 20. I believe this is Pastor Chris's favorite verse in the Bible. And here's what it says. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So God not only ministers to us from the inside out, but he ministers to us from the outside in. Amen? All you have to do is look around and you know there's a God. He says here, not only does the Holy Spirit out here touching you and drawing you unto himself where you accept or reject him, but also you look around at creation and you cannot deny that there truly is a God. Creation not only reveals that God exists, but his nature and his awesome power. He's a God of might. He's a God of intelligence. He's a God of great detail. He's a God of order and beauty. He's a God who controls powerful forces. In Psalm 19.1, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. In Isaiah 40.12, it says, He measures the heavens in the span of His hand. Now, we think we're pretty sharp. We're going to find it here later in the text that we're not that sharp. Okay, In comparison to God... We're idiots. Amen? That's reality. All right? We think we're, we, got, we got pictures coming back from Mars. Aren't we special, right? And we think we're just so, we're just so brilliant, right? And God just went, stars, and they were up there, right? And so in comparison to God, we're not. And what's amazing to me is we keep finding out the universe is so massive, and it says he holds it in the span of his hand. And let me just tell you right now, if he ever let go for a nanosecond, it would be game over. So he not only speaks to us from within, drawing us, right, Holy Spirit with us, with all of mankind, but also as we look around us, what do we see clearly? Evidence of Almighty God. The Bible says if we will not praise him, that the rocks will cry out his name. And I truly believe that's what creation does. It, very, it clearly makes it so clear to people that God is real. God's divine nature, his eternal power, his sovereignty are clearly revealed in creation. The vastness of the universe the stars innumerable, the precise order of the universe. Now, I'm not a scientist, and doctor, you know, I've got, we've got some folks in here that know better than I do, but my understanding is that if we were like 2% closer to the sun, we'd all burn up, and if we were a couple percent farther away, we'd all freeze to death. Now, how is it that we're in the exact right spot where we belong? Because God put us there, amen? And what's awesome to me is not only does he have the stars in the sky more than we can possibly number, but then you go and put your telescope away and get your microscope out and you start looking at atoms. And you start looking at DNA. Is our God awesome or what? Is our God in control of everything? And creation cries out his name. So he's drawing mankind at, with that, that God-shaped vacuum that makes every man know something's missing. 
I've got all the money, I've got all the pleasure, I've got everything seemingly, but there's a void here. And then you look around you as you walk around and you realize how great and awesome God is. He's a God of, of, of great magnitude, but He's also a God of great detail. And He's so great that He spoke the universe into existence, and again, He holds it into His hand. But at the same time, and I love this about our God, if you're here today and maybe you don't understand this, let me make it really clear to you. Not only does God hold the universe in the span of His hand, but do you know that His eyes are always on you? That He loves you. He's numbered the hairs in your head. He can't take His eyes off of you. He's in love with you. You are that pearl of a great... Pro- he, he came and suffered and died that He might restore you. He loves you. You know, the sad part is you'll talk to some people that believe in a, a huge... God, but they think He's so far away that He has no time for us. Can I tell you that one of God's names is Abba? Now, we were in Israel. You heard little kids running around going, Abba, Abba. And that blessed me. Because in Hebrew, what does that mean? Daddy. That's what it means. And that's the God that we serve. He's not a far away, distant God. He's Daddy. And Daddy's never far away. And you can crawl up into Daddy's lap. And you can have intimate fellowship with Him. And He loves you. He would rather die than live without you. But mankind, it says there, is what? Without excuse. Creation reveals God's glory, His power, and His deity. But sadly, most of mankind refuses to respond to either inward conviction or outward creation. Inwardly, they attempt to fill the void with wealth and possessions and comfort and relationships. Your flesh will never be satisfied. How many of you know that's true? You know what? You don't. You don't stop the flesh by feeding it. Isn't that Satan's greatest lie? Just do it one more time and you'll be satisfied. No, you won't. It's just going to get hung, more hungry, right? When I was a youth pastor, I used to say to our kids in the youth group, you've got a fleshly tiger and a spiritual tiger battling for control of your, of your daily life. And which one wins the battle? The one you feed the most. If all you do is feed your flesh... And, you know, you never open up your Bible. You don't spend any time in prayer. So you've got, a, you know, you've got a Tyrannosaurus Rex of a fleshly tiger, right? And you've got a spiritual tiger the size of a gnat. You wonder why you're struggling when temptation comes. But if we spend time in prayer and we spend time in His Word, when temptation comes, we're able to keep our eyes on the Lord. Our flesh will never be satisfied. So there's that inward thing. But outwardly, there's those who would rather put blind faith in a scientific impossibility that put their faith in the God of the universe who created them. You know, if you don't know this, then you're, you know, let me just clue you in. The theory of evolution is impossible. It's impossible. It's not unlikely or highly unlikely. It's impossible. And you know, again, I'm not a scientist, but I know enough that I can just give you two facts that wipe evolution off the face of the earth. And I don't have time to go into great detail, and if we're going to go into great detail, I'd probably have Joe Schuper. Somebody else up here is into apologetics, okay? But first of all, you have the law of entropy, or the second law of thermodynamics, which means that anything left alone by itself cannot go from chaos to order. It's impossible. Now, that's a law. That's a scientific law. Evolution is a what? It's a theory. Now, when you have a law and a theory, what wins? Law every time. So, it's impossible. You know, you don't see like, you know, a glass plate, you know, you don't see a, a glass shop exploding, right? And, a, and all of a sudden you drive by after it explodes and there's a, you know, a beautiful uh, greenhouse out there. There's a bunch of broken glass everywhere, right? You know, a spring factory doesn't explode and watches start popping out. That doesn't happen. 
We laugh and we say that's foolish. But you know what? Do you think it's a little more intense thinking that from nothing came the universe? Because there was a big explosion? That's foolishness and it's impossible. But people would rather believe that than believe that God created them in His image. Why? Because if I believe in evolution, I'm not accountable to any God and I can live my life any way I want to. One more law, and this is something Joe shared with me last night on the phone. The law of biogenesis. It is scientifically impossible for life to come from non-living matter. doesn't matter how many zeros you want to add to the end of it, a theory that goes in direct contrast with multiple scientific laws. It's impossible to take dead matter and have life come from it. It's impossible. But the theory of evolution says that it went from chaos to order by chance, and it went from dead matter to life by chance. And they're both laws that are physically impossible. And yet people would rather believe that. And you know the sad part? They're teaching that to our kids in school. It's noise. Amen? It's a joke. But here's the reality again. What is, what is evolution ultimately? It's a religion. Why have they got Darwin fish on the back of their cars? Doesn't that make you mad? I just, you know, I didn't know. In Jesus' name, you know, God bless you, bro. Yeah. They, that's sacrilege. I mean, so what do they do? They're almost admitting it's a religion. You know, there's books out, Darwin's Black Box, written by a non-Christian, just wipes out evolution. It's impossible. And yet we have people following that and believing that rather than trusting in God because they don't want to admit they're sinners. They don't want to see a need for a Savior. They don't have to believe that there's a God. So if I believe that I came from a monkey, I can live like one, right? I can act like an animal and it won't matter. And that's sadly the world that we live in today. It's the religion of Darwinism, so they don't, again, have to confront their own sinfulness. So we see God reaching out to them first. He reaches out to them inwardly, that God-shaped vacuum, that, that there's something missing, the Holy Spirit with them, the conscience convicting them. Then you walk around and you just see the glory of creation and realize that God is real. And now we have to make a decision about Him. But watch this. Look at the rebellious response of man, beginning in verse 21. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they knew God existed, they chose not to glorify Him, honor Him, or thank Him. They would not give Him His rightful place in their lives. It says there the result is its futile thoughts. The word there for futile is empty and foolish and darkened. Knowing that God exists is not enough. You know what? Believing that there is a God does not get you into heaven. Amen? The demons believe and tremble. Where are they going? Right? 87% in the USA Today, a couple years ago, 87% of the people in the United States said they believed in God. Do you think there's that many Christians in this country? No way. Here's the reality. Just believing that there's a God is not enough. Let me ask you a question. Is Jesus Christ your best friend? Do you have an intimate, personal relationship with Him? Not just knowing about him, but knowing him. When I was a youth pastor, I used to use the Michael Jordan analogy. You know, I know a lot about Michael Jordan. I could tell you that he went to North Carolina. I could tell you he won six championships with the Bulls. I could tell you he wore number 23. You know, I could tell you that he was a, you know, Nike and Gatorade. And I can tell you all these things about him. But guess what? If I got in an elevator with that guy, he's got no idea who I am. And there are a lot of people that can tell you a lot about Jesus. They can tell you that he was born of a virgin. They can tell you that he died on the cross, that he rose from the dead, but you know what? They don't know him. Maybe you're here this morning and that's you. 
Maybe you've known about God for a long time. You know what? Before you leave here today, let's introduce you to the Savior. Amen? He loves you guys. He desires to have that intimate, personal relationship with Him. We must acknowledge Him not just as existing, but as Savior and Lord and King and give Him the throne of our life. And as Pastor Chris talked about last week, worship Him. Is He worthy to be worshipped? Man, I, can I, as your pastor, can I just share my heart with you? I would love to see our church with a greater passion to worship the Lord. Amen? A greater passion. He's worthy to be worshipped and to be praised. And it's so important that we just, man, I can't tell you, I just can't stand it. Sometimes I'm sitting in my car and I'm listening to worship music and I'm weeping because I just love him so much. He's such a great and an awesome God. And I'll tell you, God created us for what reason? To do what? To worship him. You know, I used to tell the youth group, you're not going to, if you want a taste of heaven, you're not going to be sharing your faith in heaven because everybody there is already saved. Amen? We're not going to have Bible studies because the Word's going to be right there. But you know what we are going to do in heaven that we do here? We're going to worship. And if you want a taste of heaven, worship. He's worthy to be worshipped and to be praised. But failure to give Him the glory and the honor leads to foolishness and a darkened heart. Because it says there, their thoughts were foolish, their hearts were darkened. Now what else draws men away besides their own futile hearts and their futile minds? Again, may we be worshipers. Lack of worship, what does it lead to? It leads to a lack of godly wisdom. And look what it says here in verse 22. Professing to be wise, they became what? Fools. The word there for wisdom is is a root word where we get the word philosopher. Proclaiming to be philosophers, they became fools. It cracks me up when people act like they're really smart. You know, one time, Pastor Chuck was on the radio, and he was being interviewed, and, and he was, there was some doctor, professor of religion, a theologian, supposedly. And they were talking, I don't remember what the context of it, but they were talking about something, and, and Chuck quoted the, the Bible and said, well, Jesus said this. And the theologian said, well, Jesus didn't quite understand and know all the things that we know today. Pastor Chuck hung up the phone. They called him back. Said, uh, uh, did we get disconnected? He goes, hey, anybody thinks he knows more than the Lord, I'm done. Here's the reality. You don't know anything compared to God. Amen? The wisdom of man is foolishness compared to God. Professing to be wise, they became fools. I don't care what your IQ is or how many letters you got after your name. You're a, you're a sinner in desperate need of a Savior, and compared to God, you don't know anything. And anything you do know, God gave you the ability to know it anyway. Amen? But pro- professing to be wise, they became fools. Those who do not worship and glorify God often begin to think that they know better than God. 1 Corinthians says, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. If anyone thinks he knows anything, he knows nothing. But if anyone loves God, he is known by Him. That's one of the things I have to absolutely confess to be true, that the more I study the Word and the more I spend time with the Lord, the more I realize I don't know anything. Isn't that true? You know, I was, I'm getting dumber. Because when I was 18, I thought I knew everything. Didn't you? I mean, I know everything. My, par- you know, my parents get smarter every year I live, right? Man, they're really smart. At the time, I thought I knew everything. And here's the reality. Proclaiming to be wise, we became as fools. Again, compared to God, we're, we're foolish. We know nothing. He's God, we're not. Enough said. Amen? 
two, two undeniable facts. There is a God and you're not Him. Amen? And you're de- you need to be desperate for Him because apart from Him, we know absolutely nothing. Verse 23. And change the glory of incorruptible God into the image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Now here's what happens when you get real smart. You start making birds and calling them God. I'm, I'm serving the cuckoo bird now. Boy, you're sharp, right on. Right, here's the reality. It's professing to be wise, they became fools. And so instead of serving the creator of the universe, they start serving birds and animals. You know, by the way, if your God can be milked, that's not good. If he lays eggs, if he can be squashed by somebody's boot walking by, that's not good. Now, I just came back from India in November, and there's all these cows walking down the street, and everybody thinks they're gods. Or reincarnated, you know, ancestors, people are starving, and there's cows walking up and down the street. Now, if I was an Indian, my four kids would be starving, I'd have a mallet. <laughs> Acts 10, rice, kill and eat. Just fulfilling scripture. Amen? God loves a good barbecue, and praise God for that. All right? So we see here, though, that these guys proclaiming to be wise, what do they do? They made God into their own image. We were made in the image of God. We don't make God in our image. Amen? And sadly, that's what people do today. They make God into their own image, serving gods of their own creation. Creation. Instead of worshiping perfect, holy God as, as, made in, as we've been made in His image, they worship gods made in their own image. Birds and animals and insects. Again, sadly, all over the world today, people worshiping the creature rather than the creator. Losing sight of our identity as those higher than animals. Let me, and again, I know we live in Santa Cruz, And some of you are probably going to come up to me after the message. But let me just tell you right now. Animals are not, do not equate with people. Amen? Animals don't have a spirit. They're not going to, oh, Fluffy's not going, no, I'm sorry. Pastor Dave blowing my gig. That's just weak, right? Here's the reality. God created the animals for us. He created the earth for us. And whales do not equate to babies. Right? And, you know, and some of you guys, trees are not as high as people either. I know we live in Santa Cruz, right? We don't hug trees, we hug people. At this church, right? I hug all you guys, I've yet to hug a tree. I'm not going to do it. So here's the reality, that God desires that we have that kind of relationship and we esteem people greater than the things of this world. And here's the reality, everybody on this planet is worshiping something. You worship God, you worship yourself, your career, your money, your possessions. What do you worship? What are you dedicated to? When you wake up in the morning, what are you thinking about? What's on your heart? What's the passion for your day? What's the first thing on your mind? I'm going to see how much I can sell today. I want to see, I've got to make that big deal. What is on your heart? Can I encourage you? Wake up in the morning and spend the first moment with Him. If you don't begin your day with Him, you won't spend it with Him. And that's where we need to start. And everybody has something that they worship, something that they follow. So we see God reaches out to man inwardly through conviction, outwardly through the creation that's around him. Then we see man's rebellious response. He's not thankful to God. He doesn't worship him. He trusts in his own intellect. He serves gods of his own creation. Lastly, let's take a look at the fruits of rebellion. And I'll tell you, the verses don't get much more appropriate than what's going on in our country right now. And again, these are verses that a lot of churches would skip over. We don't do that here. So let's take a look, beginning at verse 24. 
Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness and lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Now look what it says there. I want you to see this. Therefore also God gave them up. What does that mean? It means God came to them over and over and over. He reached out to them. He desired to have a relationship with them. He had a burden for them. He revealed His glory in creation. He, by the Holy Spirit, was drawing them unto themselves. They rejected Him over and over and over, and eventually God gave them what they desired. He gave them their will. No, God, I don't want you. No, God, I don't want you. No, God, I don't have time for you. No, God, I'm on my own throne. No, God, I don't want to serve you. No, God, I don't want to worship you. And years, months, years, decades go by, and eventually God says, okay. And that's what happens here. He gave them up. He finally gave them what they wanted. He gave them what they were pursuing. He says, it's yours. Go for it. You know, the greatest curse often is the one God gives us what we ask for. You ask God, and He gives it to you, and you find out, whoops. I shouldn't have been telling God. I should have been saying, not my will, but thy will be done. Amen? We don't pray to change God's mind. We pray to do what? to change our hearts. Amen? And so when we pray, we say, Lord, your will, not my will. But eventually what happens here is God gave them up. They go from idolatry to immorality. Those are so close to each other. If man is his own God, then he can do whatever he pleases, fulfill his desires, and no fear of judgment. The pagans worshipped animals, and they became like animals. We become like what we worship. Let me say that one more time. You become like what you worship. If you worship the Lord, you will become more like the Lord. What does Christian really mean? A little what? A little Christ. That's what it means. And if we're worshiping Him in spirit and in truth, and we're pursuing Him with our whole heart, we're going to become more like Him. But if we're worshiping the things of the world, we're going to become more like the world. May we worship Him alone. May our eyes and our hearts and all that we have be focused on Him. It says they're dishonoring their bodies among themselves. What he's speaking of there is sexual perversion. We'll get to that more here in a few verses. It says in verse 25, they exchange the truth of God for a lie. What's the truth of God? The gospel. Here's the gospel. You were created in God's image. He created you to have a relationship with Him. He loves you. He loves you so much that he, suffered and, he sent His Son to suffer and die and take all of your sin upon Himself. And all you have to do is simply respond to His universal offering of salvation. Salvation is offered universally and it's accepted individually. You know what? Your parents can't take it for you. Your husband can't take it for you. Your friends can't take it for you. Coming to church doesn't take it for you. Reading your Bible doesn't take it for you. At some point, you have to reach out and say, Yes, Lord. And repent of your sin and ask Him to be your Lord and Savior. And you know what? When you do, you become a new creation in Christ. Old things pass away, all things become new. His Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. But sadly here, look what it says. They exchange the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. You know, isn't it interesting, driving around Santa Cruz, that if you see one bumper sticker on a car, isn't there usually a slew of them that all go together? you got the worship Mother Earth, right? And right next to it, you've got question authority, right? And then a peach bush, <laughs> right? right? And then right next to that, you got a Darwin fish, and then usually a, a, a lesbian rainbow flag. 
right? Is that true or not? It's a, I sell them in a five-pack probably, right? Just put them all on there. But it's amazing how the Bible is so clearly true because what have we seen in the text? We're going to see the rest of it in just a second. But we see that they, they deny creation, right? And then they fall into sexual immorality and they worship the creature rather than the creator. Man, that is Santa Cruz. We're living in it. But what better place to be salt and light? Amen? By the way, I love this place. And I love this place because this is where God's called me to be until I die. You guys are stuck with me. I'm not leaving, okay? And I feel like this is, and we're here, and Santa Cruz means Holy Cross, and I want to see this place turn right side up for Jesus Christ. And again, what better place to take a halogen light than the darkest place around? And God's doing great stuff here. But at the same time, the reality is that this is so appropriate to where we live. They've changed the truth for a lie. Instead of being adopted into his family, filled with the Spirit, knowing him and making him known, having the promise of heaven, instead they think they're God. They feed their flesh. They esteem self. They have a seared over conscience. Look at verse 26. Look what it says here in Fruits of Rebellion. Look what it says. It says, For this reason, what happened? God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was their due. Now, it's interesting. Some of you know a month ago, I got a phone call, and Channel 8 News came over to interview me about homosexual marriage, because what's going on in downtown Santa Cruz, right? And while I was there, the phone rang from another pastor in town, the Channel 8 News guy was talking, and I recognized the guy's name. I said, well, let me talk to him. So I pick up the phone, and he goes, Dave, don't do the interview, man. I go, why? He goes, oh, man, because whatever you say, it's just not going to work. And he goes, I said, well, bro, here's an opportunity to point people to the truth. He goes, well, man, I'm not even sure what Jesus would say about it. And I said, excuse me? Dude, do you have a Bible? Now, here's a couple verses right here. What does the Bible say? Now, I want to make this real clear. Hate the sin, love the sinner. Amen? I want everybody to feel welcome in this church, but at the same time, we don't condone sin. Amen? Shouldn't condone sin in my life, your life, and we don't condone sinful behavior. The Bible is the authority. We don't vote on it. Amen? When people start voting, problems start happening. Churches are voting, oh, I think homosexuality is okay. What do you think? Oh, I think so. And everybody raises their hand. And now you got homosexual... Pa- Let me ask you a question. Does that grieve the heart of God? Absolutely. It is sin. It's an abomination in the eyes of God. It's perversion. It's wickedness. Now, let me tell you a couple reasons why. First of all, what is marriage supposed to be a picture of? A picture of Christ and what? The church. The woman, the bride, is a picture of the church... And the groom is a picture of our Savior. When you have two women together, there's no Savior. And when you have two men together, there's no church. The reality is it's a picture of Christ and the church. Now what does the Bible say about homosexuality? In Leviticus 18, it says, You shall not lie down with the male as with the woman. It is an abomination. In Leviticus 20, If a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall be put to death, and their blood shall be upon them. Is God pretty clear about what He thinks about homosexuality? He's very clear. Okay? 
Can I make it also clear that homosexuality is the lowest point in the pathway to perversion? Do you know that right every... Look in Leviticus, and every time you see homosexuality, you know what you see in the next verse? Bestiality. And it's not by chance that they're in verses right next to each other. People were not born homosexuals. Can we make that clear? You were not, nobody was born that way. You know, I've, I've, I've shared a lot with, with both men and women who've gotten caught up in that lifestyle. Can I tell you that virtually every one of them that I've talked to has been introduced to that lifestyle by somebody who was older than them who molested them almost every time. Usually there's not a mom and dad in the, in the place. Somebody older comes along and homosexuals recruit. That's exactly what they do. And I'm telling you, nobody was born that way. It's a choice that people make. Now, should we love these people? Absolutely. Does the Lord love them? Absolutely. If they come to church here, put your arm around and love them. But we're going to preach the truth, amen? Not going to dial it down. Because here's the reality. What's going to deliver somebody from that lifestyle? Jesus Christ, him crucified and risen from the dead. Amen? That's what, and God does it all the time. And he continues to desire to do it. Homosexuality, like all sin, is not bad because it's forbidden. It's forbidden because it's bad. Why does God forbid us to Why does he not want us to sin? Because he's a no-fun bummer God? I don't want my kids having any fun. Is that our God? Wait at the lightning bolt. I said don't touch it, right? Is that our God? No. I don't let my kids play on the freeway. Am I a no-fun bummer dad? No, I love my kids. And I know that it would be painful for them to play on the freeway. And the same is true with sexual immorality, with adultery, with fornication. God knows that those things will bring great harm to our lives. He loves us very, very much. Now, I also want to say this. It's interesting to me that God created man for woman, and the two of them together complete one another, right? I wasn't going to say this, but I'll say it. God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Amen? All right. Now, here, here's the reality. In the garden, he caused a deep sleep to fall over Adam. He pulled a rib out, right? And he brought the woman to him. And the two of them together were made complete. Isn't it interesting that when you have homosexual couples, that they always take on, for the most part, the gender of the opposite gender? Most of the lesbians look more like a guy than I do. Right? And, then, and the guys take on... Now, why is that? Because the completeness comes when a woman is with a man. And the completeness comes when a man is with a woman. And because that's missing, they take on the attributes of that, that other sex. It's amazing to me. And they're so blind to it. Because God made them incomplete without the opposite sex. That's the way God made it. And it's total rebellion when you go contrary to it. When this goes on the radio, man, there's some picketers at Calvary Chapel. We know that's coming. Now, what, what else do we know about homosexuality? How does it impact society? The, in the book, The Rise and Fall of the Roman Empire, the author by the name of Gibbons makes the case that the reason the Roman Empire fell is 14 out of their 15 last emperors were homosexuals. They appointed homosexual generals, and it led to the fall of Rome. The same can be true of the Greeks. And how did it work out for Sodom and Gomorrah? Not too good. Where's our country headed? 
Do you know that there's never in the history of mankind ever been a civilization that's approved of homosexual marriage and we're about to do it or at least talking about it? That's getting way outside of God's will. What happened to one nation under God? We've gotten way far away from it. In the days of Lot, homosexuality was out of control. And it's interesting as it says prophetically in Luke 17, As it was in the days of Lot, so it shall be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So when Jesus comes back, guess what's going to be rampant on the earth? Sexual immorality and homosexuality. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen? That's the world we live in right now. And that means that the day can be near. It says there, look at the last part of that verse, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was their due. What does that mean? It means that sexual immorality has consequences. How many of you know that's true? Okay. Pastor Dave, are you saying AIDS is judgment? Yes, I am. That's exactly what I'm saying. Here's the reality. I've never worried about getting AIDS because I've never done IV drugs and I'm faithful to my wife. And the reality is that sexually transmitted diseases aren't going to happen if you're faithful one man for one woman for a lifetime. Amen? That's reality. And here's the thing that we see going on in the world today is instead of realizing, you know what, we need to be more faithful, instead we're trying to find cures for diseases that are coming because of immorality. There's a, a video called The Gay Agenda. And they say that the average homosexual man has between 500 and 2,000 partners in his lifetime. You think there might be some problems? Absolutely. Sin has consequences every single time. Now again, as Christians, we should have love and compassion for all unsaved. Love people. Do not condone their sin. Don't condone my sin. Don't condone anybody's sin. But remember again that sin does have consequences. Lastly, and we'll finish up here. The fruits of rebellion are not only uncleanness and vile passions, but lastly, look at this, a debased mind. Look what happens here in verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do things which are not fitting. So when they did not retain God in their knowledge, He turned them over to a debased mind. The word there for debased is a word you've heard before, reprobate. When, When societies take God out, what happens to the society? They get turned over to a debased mind. What's happening in our country right now? Are we seeing more and more religious freedom or less and less? Is God being magnified or put down? What's happening? They take prayer out of school. Ten commandments out of schools and courthouses. They don't want nativity scenes in parks or any public property. They're trying to remove under God from the Pledge of Allegiance. They're trying to take in God we trust off of our money. They restrict Christian clubs at schools. They're biblically illiterate churches all over the place. What's happening? We're denying and walking away from God. And guess what's going to happen? Being turned over to a reprobate mind. And what's going to happen to the society where God is no longer in charge? I don't remember who said it, but when our country was very young, a man said, I think he was from England, he said, America is great because America follows God. And when America, when America ceases to follow God, America will cease to be great. That's what we're seeing going on right now. Amen? Now, I'm not giving you the voice of doom. We got, that's our job, amen? That's why we're here, to be salt and light. And look what's going to happen. Look at these last few verses here. When they take God out of society and they, and they try to shut God down, look what happens. 
being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. I underlined that in my Bible. i got four kids. Undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgivable, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of what? Death. As we're going to see in chapter 3, the wages of sin is what? Sin comes with a price tag. And the price tag is death. Here's the good news. Somebody paid the price for you. Friday is Good Friday. What are we going to be commemorating? Jesus' death on the cross. He took your sin and mine upon Himself and He paid the price that we might have eternal life. So what happens? We see that when God is removed from society, the society falls apart. Those who practice such thing are deserving of death. The good news is, though, that no matter what you've done, God is willing to forgive you. Now lastly, look at the last part of the verse. This is not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Many people can get real prideful and be like the Pharisee that's that goes in and prays and says, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like this man, right? And some of us might look at that list and say, hey, I'm not an adulterer. I'm faithful to my wife, and, you know, that list doesn't apply to me. Look what it says here in this verse. I want you to read this again. Not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. So you might say, well, I'm not involved in extramarital affairs, and, you know, I'm not a homosexual. I don't practice that stuff. Let me ask you a question. Do you go to movies where they're practicing it on the screen? And do you, are you entertained with the very sins that Christ died for? I believe that's what this verse is talking about. Look what it says there. Not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Should we be entertained by the very sins that Christ died for? Should we watch in movies and TV? What happens? That feeds our flesh and gets our eyes off of God and distracts us away from holiness and truth. And I, and I, I will openly confess to you, there aren't very many TV shows you can watch if you use this as a guideline. How do they desensitize America to homosexuality and sexual immorality? What do they do? They put it on every TV show, right? And after a while, it's common. And we just, oh well, everybody's doing it, no big deal. That's why you've seen such a, a sway just in the last 10 years in the approval of homosexual marriage. And what happens is that we as Christians... The, the head of Disney once said that Christians are more concerned about their entertainment than they are their God. They're more worried about how they're entertained. I'm not worried about them boycotting us because they care more about their entertainment than they do their God. Ouch. Can I encourage you? I'm not saying that, you know, well, man, Pastor Dave, we have to go sit, you know, and never look at anything. No, that's what I'm talking about. But the reality is, may we, you know, take some time before we make decisions to put certain things on in our house or go to certain movies where it's condoning the very sins that Christ died for because it desensitizes every single one of us to sin. We must be careful not to seek entertainment, again, that magnifies the very sins that Christ died for. For so in closing, may none of us take sin lightly. May we realize that sin indeed does have consequences. Here's the good news. If you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I want you to know again that He loves you. And that what can wash away my sin? Nothing but what? The blood of Jesus. He suffered and died that you might have eternal life.
He loves you. It doesn't matter how many times you sin. He's faithful and just to forgive you. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. But again, there's a choice to be made. You can be like those here who just continue to say no to God over and over and over. Or we can respond to Him and say, Lord, you know, I've tried it my way and it's not working. I've tried to fill up my flesh and nothing's fit in there because it's a God-shaped vacuum set aside only for Him. You know, I've tried, you know, and, and I can't do it by myself. And the reality is, you're right, you can't. But He loves you. And He's holding His hand out to every one of you this morning and He says, I suffered and died for you. Here's the free gift of salvation, but you must choose to take it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. And Lord, I thank You that you give us warnings in your word because you love us. I thank you that sin is not forbidden because it's bad. It's bad because it's forbidden. Lord, I thank you that you forbid us from things that will harm us because you love us and you know what's best for us. Lord, I pray if anybody's here this morning that doesn't know you, that Lord, that has never given their life to you, that Father God, that you drew him here by the power of your Holy Spirit and nothing happens by chance. Lord, I ask that even right now that your Holy Spirit would just soften their heart and open their eyes to their need for you. And, Lord, and for every Christian who's here, I just want you to bow your head and just pray for those here who might not know the Lord. If you're here this morning, the Bible says, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. Becoming a Christian is not joining a church or joining a, re- a religion or, or anything else. It's simply saying, I need Jesus Christ to be my Savior and I know that I'm a sinner. And you know what? The Bible says if you will confess your sin, He is faithful and just to forgive you. Romans 10, 9 says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved to the glory of the Father. You can walk out of here knowing for sure that you're going to heaven, that the Spirit of the living God lives inside of you. I'm going to ask you to do something really simple. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand so I can pray with you a simple prayer to ask Jesus to be your Savior. Is there anybody here at all? He loves you. He desires that you have an intimate relationship with Him. Is there anybody here at all? Don't leave here without Him. He loves you so very much. Anybody here at all? We thank You, Lord, and we praise You for Your Word. You're a great and an awesome God. I pray, Lord, that we would be men and women of compassion. Lord, that when we see those who are caught up in sin, Lord, that we would reach out to them in love, that we would never be self-righteous or judgmental, but Lord, at the same time, we wouldn't water down Your truth. But Lord, we would deliver it in love. Lord, and we'd show people the love of God as it flows through us. We thank you and we praise you, Lord. We continue to lift up Santa Cruz County. We pray you bring revival here, Lord. Help us to be salt and light. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, let's stand and close a worship song.